when I used to substitute teach up at the school, I was in Orsland's the other night. This girl goes, she's in her 20s. She goes, I remember you. I said, do you? She goes, yeah, you used to teach me when I was in the third grade. You used to substitute for me when I was in the third grade. Now then, you don't have to tell me what grade you was in. You could have said seventh, eighth, ninth. <sighs> but anyway, I've got a, a little video clip I want you to watch. And I think with this guy's personality and with his demeanor, it's a, it'll really speak to your heart. A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell me? I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. You take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star, yet... It worked. Love. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with the child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? On divorce. Some people get married and after a while they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. My being on the program was a statement for Fred. A neighborhood was a place where, at times, that you felt worried, scared, unsafe, would take care of you. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Have you ever thought of anyone that was as kind as him? I don't know anybody I've ever met in my life who was as kind as Mr. Rogers. Have you? We went and saw the movie last night, this movie that this was talking about. And it spoke to our heart in a variety of ways. Um, one of the things that I did learn about him, he was an ordained minister. And he was in, going to be in ministry at some point, but he just kind of took him an alternate path. Um, everything, everything about him portrays humility, humility, anything but self-esteeming. Matter of fact, I would say borderline of dorky. How many times do we think that our fathers are dorky? Things that they say, things they behave and they do, and uh, I agree. 
We have our moments. But this guy was instrumental in changing America and a lot of people's change. I mean, how many has ever seen Mr. Rogers? How many has never seen the show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Oh, that is horrible. It's time to YouTube. YouTube it. Uh, his greatness, he was gentle, he was kind, he was meek, and he was humble. When you hear, never hear the word pride, never hear anything about him being prideful. Even when he was on PBS and he was the, I believe he was on PBS for like 28 years and, and he had all the influence that he did and knew all the people that he, he, he influenced him in some way or another. But never was it about pride. And I look at us. A lot of us would never get up in front of a TV and, and do a puppet and talk with a little voice or something that's different. We would never do anything that's, that we feel like it's going to be a derogatory thing in our life. I, I, I taught on pride Wednesday night, and the, you're going to hear it again today if you were here Wednesday night. But I felt like it was important enough. I, I actually, I had people that came up and told me that should be taught on Sunday morning. Because pride is a vicious part of possibly my life and part of your life. And it shortchanges us from everything it could be. Everything it could be hinges on that word pride. I'd like to go to Numbers, if you would, 9, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. This is a little different. I've got a little different take on it, but the first two points are exactly like Wednesday night. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of the Cushite wife. He had married a Cushite. They said, is Moses the only one that the Lord speaks to? Doesn't he also speak through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, Moses was very humble. He was the least proud person on the earth. So the Lord spoke suddenly to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, All three of you come to the meeting tent. So they went, and the, Lord, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. And he called to Aaron and Miriam, Aaron and Miriam. And they both came near, and he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet is among you, I, the Lord, will show myself to him in various visions. I will show myself to him in visions, and I will speak to him in dreams. But this is not true with my servant Moses. I trust him to lead all my people, and I speak to him face to face and clearly and not with hidden messages. He has even seen the form of God, and you should be afraid to speak against my servant Moses. And the Lord was very angry with him, and they left. There was something unique about Moses, something that was different than him, different with him than his brother and sister, the same bloodline. Be it, if you have any kids, they'll have different personalities. They have different takes on life. And, and I have three kids, and all three of them are ex just incredibly different and complex in many ways. But why did he turn out this way? Why is he the one who was the humblest man on the earth? You see, everybody... 
goes through things. And the things they go through, it can make them what they need to be or it can make them just be. And many times we've went through things ourselves and we become just anything or just whatever we become. But there's something that God wants to do in our life that is so unique and so dynamic. God confronts Miriam and Aaron. Miriam and Aaron. Confronts them. What are you doing talking about my servant Moses? Who are you to talk about Moses? You know, Miriam didn't think there was anything wrong because she done it and she talked about Moses to her other brother. It's okay to talk about your brother, isn't it? Isn't it? They were comparing themselves with Moses and God. There's a reason that God gave Moses special attention. There's a reason that God did what he done in Moses' life. Moses was willing to receive. This produced God's judgment on Miriam. The true test of Moses' character was reflected in because what she said, God made her leprous. Go to verse 13 and 14. So the Lord, so Moses cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. And the Lord answered Moses, if her father had spit in her face, she would have been ashamed for seven days. So put her outside of the camp for seven days, and after that, she may come back. I just thought of something. The potential was just as great in Miriam and Aaron because they were humbled and they were revealed to them what they had wrong in their life. They had a lot of pride going on. They thought because they were the, the two and the three of all of Israel that they had some kind of uh, entitlement, I guess you would say. They did. What could have happened in their life? What could Moses have done? He could have said, well, you know, Miriam, you know, God's just, and God's going to judge you, and I'm going to keep my mouth shut, and I'm going to stay out of it. But Moses, true to his character, he interceded on behalf of his sister, how many of us, when somebody assaults us or somebody says things about us, even in private or public, whatever it is, how many of us have the audacity and the, and the nurturing ability to just, well, it'll be okay, as Moses did? It's a true test of his character. Moses wasn't moved to judgment, he was moved to compassion. Where did Moses learn his great mercy? Where did he learn his great mercy? Go to Exodus, if you will, in chapter, chapter 2. Moses had a great life. Now a man from the family of Levi married a woman who, uh, who was also from the family of Levi, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw how wonderful the baby was, she hid him for three months. But after three months, she was not able to hide the baby any longer, so she got a basket made of reeds and covered it with tar so that it would float. And she put the baby in the basket, and she put the basket among the tall stalks of grass at the edge of the Nile. The baby's sister stood a short distance away to see what would happen to him. Then the daughter of the king came out of Egypt 
came to the river to take her bath and her serving girls and were walking beside the river when she saw the basket in the tall grass. She sent her slave girl to get it and the king's daughter opened the basket and behold, the baby boy was crying and she felt sorry for him and she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. Then the baby, baby sisters asked the king's daughter, would you like me to find a Hebrew nurse for you? And the king's daughter said, go. And the girl went and she found the baby's own mother. My point in this, my point is this. All the babies were being killed because of what Pharaoh had said. Because they were getting larger. They had more people than the Egyptians themselves. And so all the babies were being killed with this mother, with her listening, I guess you say, to the spirit. She built something and put him in it and he went floating down the river. So he had a great life. Now let's read verse 11 through 14. And Moses grew and became a man. And one day he visited his people and saw that they were forced to work hard. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew man, one of Moses' own people. Moses looked all around and he saw that no one was watching. So he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day Moses returned and saw two Hebrew men fighting with each other. And he said to the one that was in the wrong, why are you hitting your own people? And the man replied, replied who made you ruler, a king, and judge? Are you going to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? As you did. And Moses was afraid and thought, not everyone knows. Now everyone knows what I did. So I began to think about Moses. What did his life look like when he was little? He had all the luxuries of life. He lived like an Egyptian and he was a Jew. He had all the wealth. He had all the popularity. He had the greatest schooling. He had the greatest food. He had the greatest clothes. Didn't he? How many saw the uh, Ten Commandments? Yeah, you've seen the Pharaohs. They walk around, the rubber, all of them real muscular. They walk around in a skirt-like shorts thing with a, a golden thing here and had little bands on their arms. They walked around. They were, they were in charge. And that's what Moses was. Moses had a hot, he was hot-headed. He had a short fuse. He lived in a split situation. He was a Hebrew, but he lived like an Egyptian. He didn't want to get rid of all the Egyptian ways. And so he would go there. And then he said he would go into his Hebrew brothers. And I don't really think he lorded over them, but I think he saw the misery. And maybe back in his mind, he thought he would be the one that God would raise up to get him out of this situation. So what did he do? Because he had to have some thoughts like that or he never would have responded. He responded. He killed the Egyptian. Hit, him, hit his body down in the sand. Arrogant, proud of his position, was he a peacemaker? Not at all. This is a direct opposite. His character and his nature was direct opposite of what he was later in life. I want Paul to bring some flyers up here. Pride can be a hidden part of your life, and it is usually deep-rooted, and there are so many fruits. There are so many fruits of pride, and I just wrote down a few, and, and, and he was good enough to print them out for me because y'all saw my writing Wednesday night. It was pretty sad, but pride and arrogance is the first one. And why is it at the bottom, you think? You know, we think it should be at the top, but it's at the very bottom because at the very bottom, it's where the growth comes from. Put the next one up, uh, elite. A lot of times we think we're elite because it started with pride. And you can watch the little kids, and little kids, if they think that they're better than others, it starts when they're small. 
When they get around other kids, they don't want to talk to them, they're too good, or whatever it is, and they begin to think that they're elite. That's what pride does, and it corrupts us. Let me just tell you what elite means. Superior in ability and when compared to the rest of the group. Self-importance, next one. Self-importance, exaggerated, exaggerated sense of one's own value. You think you're better than most others and other people pay attention to you because you're exaggerated. You think you're bigger than what you really are, but you're really not. Loftiness, raised to position of condescending, superior in manner. These are all byproducts of pride. Now don't sit there and start thinking about other people in this crowd or somebody you know. Because more than likely, if two or three of these will hit home with us. Loftiness. Okay, brag. Well, I say braggadocious and we brag about things, but a pompous or, or boastful, an arrogant person or you remember that kid in high school you played against in, in baseball or basketball? I didn't play football, but I remember thinking, about well, they're just cocky. You know, I, 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 let me have him coach. I'm going to take him down a level. Proud look. Proud look. Walks with excessive self-esteem. What's excessive? There's nothing wrong. We're not, I don't think that Moses, and I don't think that we should walk around with our head down. I think we should walk upright and act like everybody else. But when you, when you begin to elevate yourself and look over people and think you're, you're doing somebody a favor by talking to them, that come from the stem, from down in the root part, a pride. Rudeness. The state of being rude. Rude in action. Rude in your words. Defensive. Defensive. To defend or protect yourself. Ego. A person's sense of self-importance. You know, ego. Have you ever worked with anybody who had ego? Don't, don't comment. Hatred. The reason I got hatred in here because often don't, you don't often think that hatred is a, a byproduct of it. But think about this. When a person, as all of any of these other things, begin to think, well, let me just remember my definition. Extreme dislike or disgust of anything that is opposing to them. Anything that opposing to them. And the last one, self-indulge. A tendency to do exactly what one wants, unrestricted desires. Go to Proverbs, if you will, chapter six. I'm telling you, not with any look at me or or that I know everything at all, but I do know this. That if there's anything that hinders God moving in our life, in our, move, in, in our life as a congregation, it is any of these attributes in your life. And if you have those things in your life and they show up every now and then, you need to really review yourself for what you are and understand your impact and influence that you have upon others. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. There are seven things that he cannot stand. 
a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent people, a mind that thinks up evil plans, and feet that are quick to do evil, a witness who lies, and someone who starts arguments among families. It sows discord. And I begin to think about what is what is it all? What is all built up around? What is, what is the purpose of this? Well, the first thing he said is that he's a. The Lord detests a proud look. It all begins with a proud look. If I had ability to speak like nobody you ever met, and I could draw and I could get people's attention, the moment, not the moment, but the moment that that pride begins to develop, it begins to develop something else. Have you ever watched how a lot of people in, in a lot of high positions, all of a sudden you hear of a major disaster in their life, something in their life, it's a, a fall of some sort? It all begins with a proud look, and look how fast it evolves. It turns into murder, it turns into lying, it turns into gossip, it turns into manipulation. All that grows from a proud look. We're going to have a holidays here in about two weeks. Three weeks, you're going to be going to your families. If anybody walks in, if anybody walks in a little better than the rest, everybody else knows it. Go to Acts chapter 7. I'm going to give you some indicators that maybe pride is an issue that you have. Are you quick to defend yourself? You usually get offended or you've got to protect and you've got to defend yourself. Do you? Is that something when somebody says something, you instantly think, well, I'm going to give them my account comments and protect myself and, and say something back to them? Are you never wrong? That's a hard thing. I said it to Terry the other night because dads usually think we're never wrong. And I've heard Terry talk to his boys, and, and one time he was wrong, and, and one of the boys right. Don't get mad at me, Terry, but it's, it's just the truth. It's just what, what, part of our natures. It's how we are. We conduct ourselves, and we're man, and we're in charge, and we're telling everybody else how to do it. And Third one. You're critical instead of grateful, regardless of what, 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 regardless of what some do. I'm going to stop here just a minute. I wanted to get up here this morning and, and talk about the church's staff. I watched Rachel and Alex and, and Nick and Kyle and Haley and, and Charity and Michael and, and Paul, Samantha. Who else we got? I'm forgetting somebody. Don't be mad at me. Don't leave the church. But I think about all the gifts and all the abilities that they have. Ashley and Aaron. I think about the gifts that they have and what they bring to this church. And how most of my life in the past, I haven't been appreciative, appreciative as I should have. See, this message has to ring home here before it can ring out here. But I know the difference and I know the strength of becoming clean. If you're wrong, 
it was somebody else's fault that you were wrong. I'm going to say that again. If you were ever wrong, it was somebody else's fault that you were wrong. Maybe I should say it one more time. If you're ever wrong, it's somebody else's fault that you're wrong. Yeah, you know, okay. Uh, you're easily irritated when questioned. Now, I will remind you, after church is not a good time to sit and talk to me about anything in depth. Maybe just something briefly, because I'm usually kind of backing away from you pretty quick, because I'm trying to greet other people when they leave. But just in general, if people try to talk to you about it, they're not easily irritated. And the most common trait of anyone who has a problem with this, and it goes up in all these, is they're a male. They're a male. You wouldn't believe the, the survey I heard, I've heard it talked about, about men, how we are so hard-headed. And the women said, does anybody got an elbow in, a, in the side of a, a man real quick? You know, we're always right. I don't need a fight when you go home. Now I'm going to go back to the first part of the message. Go to Acts chapter 7. Stay with me. The Egyptian daughter, Egyptian daughter, the Egyptians taught Moses everything they knew, and he was a powerful man in what he said and did. But when Moses was 40 years old, he thought it would be good to visit his own people, the people of Israel. And Moses saw an Egyptian mistreating his, one of his people. So he defended the Israelite and punished the Egyptian by killing him. Moses thought his people would understand that God was using him to save them, but they did not. The next day, when Moses saw two men fighting, of Israel fighting, he tried to make peace between them. And he said, men, you are brothers. Why are you hurting one another? And the man who was hurting the other pushed Moses away and said, who made you our ruler and our judge? What are you going to do? As, are you going to do the same as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard him say this, he left Egypt and he lived in the land of Midian where he was a stranger. And while Moses lived in Midian, he had two sons. Forty years later, an angel appeared into Moses in the flames of a burning bush. How many of you ever heard that story? It, it take him 40 years. This is, the whole, this, is, this is the answer to all the questions asked in the beginning. Do you ever wonder why he was on the backside of the desert for 40 years? Some people say it was because of favor was out to kill him. I don't think that was the reason. I think he had an important lesson to learn. Something that was more important than him himself. He had to learn his meanness. He had to learn to be humble. He had to learn how to respond. He had to learn how to treat people. He had to learn how to lead people. There was something unique that happened in his life on the 40 years in the desert. And he was there alone. You know, when you get alone, being alone can cause one or two problems. It can cause you to, to, to self-destruct when you start questioning yourself and wondering about all that you've done wrong. You could have done this. You could have done that. And I could have had all this grandeur, all this wonder, and everybody could have been suppressing me. Or you can sit and begin to think, what did, what did I do wrong? Forty years later, it took him to come to the place when his sister was talking about him and God was mad at her. Forty years it took him 
to get from where he was to the place he had to be. I think that Moses really was a lot like Mr. Rogers. I think some things in his life caused him and it molded him and it, and it worked on his psyche that he decided that some things are important and other things are not. But how he treated people was the most important. And he was in charge of two or three million people. It doesn't bother me anymore when you say amen. It doesn't bother me anymore when you say anything you want to say. I can't really look at you. I look above your heads. So you can say all you want, Brother Teal. It took 40 years to rid himself of this stronghold of pride from off his feet. Growing up thinking he was untouchable, he had more than any other Hebrew boy. He'd been hasty in his actions, and he lived for 40 years to prepare him for the next 40. So let me ask you in your life, what has went on the past six weeks, six years, 16 years, 30-something years, 40, 50, today's my birthday, 56 years. No. <laughs> okay, 56 years. Yeah, I've been blessed. But think about it. What molded you and what is molding you and what are you allowing to mold you into being that meek, the meek man that you should be, or the meek woman you should be. Powerful, but yet meek. I cannot stress how important, go to James chapter four. James chapter four says, but God gives us more grace. God gives us more grace. And I'm so glad that for 40 years, God, he, he, he got a hold of God's grace. But the next verse, the rest of that scripture says, as the scripture says, God is against the proud, but he gives grace, he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. What does that mean? I'm gonna quit in two minutes, I've gotta be done. He resists the proud, that means he stands off. He will not assist or he does not support. We get to the place that we are not even aware of it. We're not even aware that there's a stronghold in our, in our body, in our life, and how we think and how we conduct ourselves. Oh, man, we often say, oh, I'm, so, I'm highly favored and God's blessed me and God's done this and God's done that, but, but we don't know that God's left. He's abandoned your party. He's abandoned your life because of the pride issue. Matter of fact, ever watch a lot of other items start to come into your life? Things if they, that five years you would never have allowed to be done or be said or, or be a part of. God cannot give favor, his blessing, his grace. We cannot allow this root to grow and produce fruit. Because in our church, it will all suffer. This church will fall apart. Every church will fall apart. Matter of fact, you can sit and think about some churches you know that have fallen apart. There's a pride issue or there's a fruit of the pride. It's causing so much division. I got one more place I want to go with you. It's in Psalms 139. 
Before I say, before I share that with you, I'm going to uh, tell you a story. I'm 56. I don't have 40 years. I might have 40 years, but I'll be taking it pretty hard, you know, walking with a, well, I don't know, I don't want, I'll be walking straight just like I am right now. Okay. Uh, I won't be pastoring this church at 96 years old, though, I can assure you. And so, with that, when I was 13 years old, you, you know, there's a couple of items in my life that I had to, to really listen to authority in my life to really have direction. And uh, the first one was when my mom went down to my basement, my closet, and found those rolling papers, you know, underneath my, underneath my, uh, my, toy, my game, board games. And that day, I just put them there that day. She went there the next morning. She was going to clean my closet out. She found the rolling papers. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I was hiding them, putting them up for a friend. doesn't matter. The rest of the story is some other time. But the second time was this. I was uh, about the same age, around my 12, 12 years old or so. And uh, when we were at school, we used to walk around the halls, you know, strutting. You know, all the guys, get about five or six of us together, you know. I won't make you get it, Paul. But we'd walk arms, we'd walk around like this because we thought we were bad. You know, we're fifth, sixth graders. We're, we are bad. Tough. Something. Immature. That's the N word. But there's this one girl. Her name is Margaret. Margaret Chester. And... Margaret would walk down the hallways, and instantly, everybody would get on the wall and put her head against the wall and say, ooh, look out like everybody. There's Margaret Chester. She's gross. I've done that. The other guy, everybody in the school, all of us guys done that. Margaret was kind of awkward. She's tall and gangly, and we were a little short, puny punks. And she walked, she was, and she, she kind of smelled sometimes, and she didn't have a lot of stuff that, that we had. So we kind of labeled her as, ooh, there's Margaret Chester. And I don't know how many times I've done this before. I remember where I was at. I was right in the principal's office, and there's two science classes. And I passed her in the hallway, and I said that, and the boys did. And I got on the wall, and she looked at me. She, honestly, she looked at me, and she stopped. She looked inside my soul. The same way Jesus looked inside Peter so when he looked him in the eye. Instantly, I was convicted heavily, 12 years old. A lot of things one of my 12 years, my, my, my age at 12 years, but the rolling papers, then her. And I went up to her as soon as she did, as soon as I done it, she looked at me. I felt like a no, just prideful, arrogant, snobby, snobwad. Most of these things here was how I was acting that become down here, but because of popularity, because everybody thought I was something or I thought I was something, I began to let all these things, this here especially, I began to think I was the lead, I was higher, I, I knew more, I was, I was better, cleaner, whatever, than her. And instantly, when she looked into my eyes and her, and her countenance fell, I went to her and said, Margaret, I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. All these years, 44 years ago, I learned a lesson that was so huge in my life. I never treated anybody like that again. Never did. I could play some music if you would.
there's one place there is no place for pride there's no place for issues no place for this kind of behavior this kind of things growing in your life and dominating your life it's here people come in here looking for answers and we can't give it because our head is too big or we know too much or we're in a place of braggadocious or rudeness or proud look Mary Beth asked a question Wednesday night. She said, most people don't even know that they may be this way. Let me tell you something. Maybe you don't know some of it, but you know something. You know how you feel toward people and you know how you conduct yourself around people and act certain ways or just walk in or whatever. You know how you're acting. You know if it's right or it's wrong. If you say something that's mean or somebody ever tells you and confronts you, tells you to take it, receive it, say, I'm sorry, apologize, get over yourself. You're not that, you're not that important. You're not. This is David writing. Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24. And God examine me and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts, my nervous thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me into a way that's everlasting. You know, Margaret Chester, she ended up coming to our church before we, we were pastoring in Kentucky. And I know with everything that's within me, the reason she came to our church is she, she knew that me and my wife would accept her, would accept her. I want everybody to stand, if you would, please. I was going to have everybody come up front, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask, I am going to ask you to participate. We have to surrender. We have to surrender our arrogance and our sin and the thing that's hampering many of us in our lives. I'm going to ask you to do something. Every person, everyone has got to surrender this spirit of pride and arrogance. You got to. You know it all? No, you don't. I know most of it. No, you don't. None of us. What we're going to do, instead of everybody coming up, if you're willing and you want to be everything that God wants you to be, and you want all the pride, all the pride out, and all the fruits of pride out of your life, I want you to raise your hand. Let me tell you, it's not just something you're doing because somebody else is doing it. Keep your hands up. This is you saying, Father, I know I got some pride issues. I didn't know how many of these I had. I didn't know how many things were, were going on in my life. And I didn't know. Maybe I look at people all the time like Margaret Chester. But Lord, there's something i got to do about this. Father, in the name of your son, we are all, everybody in this room, every single person 
There are no exceptions. We are pitiful and we are pathetic and how we conduct ourselves a lot of times. Lord, clean us up. Remove this stuff from us. God, we desire, Lord, to have your presence in our life. No, no distractions, no hang-ups, no problems. Lord, that in this church in 50 years, it can continue to be strong and vibrant and acknowledging, Lord, that you are the Lord, you are the one that's in control. So, Lord, by raising my hand, or maybe two, Father, I ask you to forgive me for I've been arrogant. Forgive me, Lord, for I've been prideful. Lord, I've caused any dissension and any problems, Lord, within this body of believers. Let it fall upon me, but Lord, let me recognize it. Let me, help me to recognize it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.